Welcome to Unity of Tucson. There is a musical. Some of you may know, uh, you may understand that I come from a musical theater background that I was a musical theater actor for a long time before I became a minister. And now I've been a minister for over 10 years now. Uh, The last show I was actually in, the last big production I was in, was in 2011. And I miss it. I will tell you, I miss it. (laughs) Um, And I've been thinking about the ways that I may actually continue to be in ministry, but also go back to my theatrical roots and have that be part of what I'm doing in this world. Because you know what? There's room for it all. If I think that I am limited in any way, I need to get rid of that idea because I can do it all and so can you. Anyway, that was all by way of introducing this idea that there's a, one of my favorite musicals that exists in this world it was a musical that premiered in 1970, a musical called Company. Do you know Company? I love Company too. Um, and the inspiration for today's talk title actually comes from Company because at the... At the end of the show, you know, it's, it, it's, it's a very non-traditional musical. There's no kind of like straight through line of storytelling. It's done in vignettes. And at the end of the story, uh, at the end of the show, the main character really is still in a state of not knowing. But through the final song comes into a state of knowing. And he's being encouraged by all his friends who are all the characters in these vignettes. And there's one character who says to him, You see what you look for, you know? You see what you look for, you know? I was like, oh, thank you, Stephen Sondheim, the composer and lyricist for Company, for bringing new thought (laughs) ideas into that realm. You see what you look for, you know? Even before I was in New Thought, uh, that line always struck me because I had to really step back and think about it. Oh, gosh, what does that really mean? Because here's what happens. A lot of times what we do is we look at the world to determine. We look at the world to determine our good. And if there's anything we're learning from Spiritual Economics, the book that is part of our Fall Renewal series, which is uh, what we're in right now, we're in week two of our Fall Renewal series, is that it is not the world that we look at to understand our good. It is that which is right here within each and every one of us that we must look to to understand our good. And in looking within, in allowing that which is within to unfold itself, that becomes the expression and experience of our world. That's basic new thought. Our thoughts and beliefs create our experience. That's, that's, That's the fundamental teaching. In fact, we really don't teach anything else. That's it. Well, we teach that God is not some person out there. God is the infinite power of creation, that essence of creation that resides in all that is and is who we are. And that is why we claim that our thoughts and our beliefs, which are the thoughts and the beliefs of God, are creating our experience. Eric Butterworth in Spiritual economics says one of the most important aspects of the study of truth is training the eyes to see properly. We have been conditioned 
to believe that life is lived from outside in. We see things out there, and we react with attitudes and feelings about them. Well, here, in these churches, in these spiritual centers, whatever you want to call them, we are learning to live life from the inside out. One of the important words here is react. React is an important word to understand because that is what so many people are doing. They are reacting to things that are out there. Reaction is, is, is well, it's not so good, actually. If we are living a reactive life, we may be missing our proactive life because if we are always living in response to, we are never actually stepping into the creation of. And so I want to... Let it, I want us all to let go of this idea that anything must be reacted to. Now, there are going to be things that show up in your experience, right? There are going to be things that show up in your experience. Anyone ever have anything that didn't show up in their experience? <laughs> Think about it. <laughs> things show up in our experience. And, and, you know, a lot of people will go, but new thought, nothing shows up that I didn't create. Well, you know what, there's this thing called the collective consciousness as well. And the collective consciousness is actively at play, and so things are showing up based on the consciousness of the collective that show up in our experience, and guess what we get to do? Not react to it, we get to decide our relationship to those circumstances and be proactive in how we move forward. A proactive life is a life where we make decisions. It's a life where we make decisions based on knowing our infinite nature. That's a proactive life. So, the work really should become rooted this week in this question. What blind spots exist? in our experience and expression of life? What blind spots do we have? That's the first question, it's a rhetorical question. I always look to Anita because she used to ask me, is that a rhetorical question? <laughs> it's a rhetorical question. It's a question for consideration because as we say, hey, I wanna know what those blind spots are, we put ourselves into a place of power because awareness is the key to change. As we become aware, of those blind spots, we get to make decisions about how we will move forward, not from reacting, but being proactive. The physical eye. You know how the physical eye works? I'm not gonna get too much into it because I'm, I'm not an eye doctor. But one thing I do know is that in the physical eye, there are actually blind spots, and you can, like, you can do tests and things where you see like a dot on a piece of paper, and as you move the paper, the dot will disappear, and that's where the blind spot is in your eye. And what happens is we don't perceive the blind spots in our everyday life because what happens is the brain actually fills in the missing information. The brain fills in the missing information. Well, where does the brain get its cues? 
It gets its cues from the infinite mind, ultimately. The brain is a tool of the infinite mind. It is the, I like to say it's the radio receiver of infinite mind. People think that the brain is where mind begins, but it's actually the conduit through which mind is expressing by means of each and every one of us. So the brain is taking information from the infinite mind and filling in the gaps, not just in our physical eyesight, but in so many areas of our lives. In the absence of information, we have a couple of options. In the absence of information, we can either make up stories, which is what a lot of us do. <sighs> the stories aren't always rooted in a constructive way of being. In the absence of information, we can do our spiritual work and allow that intuitive mind, that intuitive nature, the wisdom to flow through and illuminate truth for each and every one of us. The other thing we can do in the absence of information is ask the question to get clarity. A lot of us don't want to ask that question, though. It's like, oh, I don't want to ask the question. Why don't I want to ask the question? Because then somebody might know that I don't know something. It's okay. None of us are expected to know it all, especially the minister. <laughs> do not expect me to know it all. So the brain fills in the gaps, but we can also utilize the mind and the tool of the brain to create. It's all we're doing. So rather than looking out there for the proof of anything, we create that which is out there by that which is right here. So rather than seeing is believing, what do we say? Believing is seeing. Believing is seeing. We create the constructs of our experience through our beliefs. It all comes back to that belief. 100% of this is belief. That's it. So what do you believe? Rhetorical. A manner in which we can, a manner in which we can address the beliefs that we have is affirmative prayer. It's the tool we teach to address the beliefs we have, the primary tool we teach within this philosophy. An affirmative prayer is actually, well, here's the thing. Prayer is happening all the time, whether we are aware of it or not, because we are 100% of the time creating the experience of our lives. Now, we can activate purposeful affirmative prayer to change the experience of our lives, but not with the purpose of changing that out there. It is about changing that which is right here, and what flows forth is that change. So are, we are praying all the time, whether we know it or not. So what do you spend most of your mental energy on? Maybe rhetorical, maybe not. Gotcha. What do you, no, it is rhetorical. What do you spend most of your mental energy on? This goes down to what we talked about last week. If you are spending most of your mental energy on the activity of complaining about the way things are, why they should be some other way, you know what? You are actually keeping in your mental space, your belief system, the consciousness of that being maintained in the world of form. People are going, what the heck is he talking about? I'm going to explain it to you. 
It's like worrying. You know worry? Do you ever worry? Worry is like praying for something that you don't want to have happen. Because here's the thing about mind. Mind does not care what you are thinking. It can't care. It does not have a personality. God does not have a personality. We are the personality of God. Expression is the personality of God. God does not have a separate personality except that which is expressing through each and every one of us. So worry is like praying for what we don't want. The infinite mind does not discern at all what is being impressed upon it. It does not make that kind of discernment. It simply creates. It is creating 100% of the time. It never ceases. It is always creating, always, always moving along and saying, hey, yes, 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 yes to this, yes to that. It's like Oprah. Yes, you get to live a magnificent life. Yes, you get to live a magnificent life. Yes, you get to live a magnificent life. Or maybe the anti-Oprah. Yes, you don't get to live a magnificent life. Or you don't get to live a magnificent life or you don't get to live a magnificent life. And what is the difference between the Oprah and the anti-Oprah? I never thought I'd use that in a talk. (laughs) The difference between Oprah and the anti-Oprah is what you are thinking and believing. I'm doing a lot of this today. That's the only difference. For it is done unto you as you believe. Fundamental. So the infinite mind does not discern. It simply creates. Discernment. Now this is important. Discernment is a faculty of the individualization of the infinite. What does that mean? (laughs) Discernment is your job. That's what that means. You are the individualization of the infinite. And so if there is any discernment to be done, it is your work to discern what it is to live the most magnificent life for you. And you know what? It doesn't have to look like the magnificent life of anybody else. So let's let go of comparisons around that person's life or that person's life and why I don't live up to that ideal or that ideal. Know that you are living up to the ideal that you choose to live up to. You get to decide the expression of your life. I love that. See, you know, it's like when I first came to New Thought and I sat down in the New Thought church, I was like, I can get behind this idea. This is kind of what I've always fundamentally understood to be true. And so, yeah. And it was six months later, I was sitting in service and I was like going, I think I'm supposed to be a minister. That was a big shift. Especially coming up from la 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 la. Not all musical theater is like that, (laughs) especially company. Well, I know, right? It's like, well, yeah. (laughs) And I've done plenty of that in my day. (laughs) So here's the thing. As an individualization of the infinite power and presence that we call God, if you are not active in your discernment, if you are not active in your discernment, you will activate the infinite to create whatever it is you have in mind, whether you call it good or call it bad. So what are you going to place your focus on? You see what you look for. You see what you look for. Our work is to place our focus on that which we would like to have happen in our experience. If you are focused on 
what there is to worry about, more of that's going to get served up. If you are focused on more to love in life, then more of that's going to get served up in your experience. The one thing I love about Butterworth is, actually, he is not afraid. If you've been reading the book, he'll call you out. Anyone have that experience? Boy, he calls you out. He is not afraid to call people out. So what do I mean by that? So there's this, there's this one little section of the book, Spiritual Economics, where he talks about treasure mapping. Anyone ever do any treasure mapping? You know, you take your poster board and you go to your magazines and you cut out the pictures of all the things that you like and you put them up and you display them and you, it's kind of an artistic experience of creation, right? And you put it up there and he's like, that treasure mapping, no. Butterworth is like, mm-mm, nope. I don't necessarily always agree with Butterworth. But here's what he says. Treasure mapping does this. It becomes patently gross materialization of a beautiful spiritual law. That what's happening in treasure mapping is that we are putting so much focus on the form that we have forgotten what the source of the form is. Now, how do you make treasure mapping work? Don't make it so literal about that house in Tuscany know that you are equal to the most magnificent expression and experience of a loving, comfortable home wherever that takes you. It's around tapping into that which is right here. Don't make it about the material. Understand it from the point of view of the spiritual. So that's how I think treasure mapping can work. And I'm going to still do my treasure maps, even though he says that I shouldn't. But I get what he's saying, because the treasure map tends to focus on the form, on the effect, and not the cause. So let's let that go. Our work, our work is to see from the consciousness of God. Our work is to pray as God, not to pray to God. Fundamental difference. Our work is to know who we are to such a degree that we are speaking our truth, we are speaking our word as the infinite power and presence, idealized and individualized as each and every one of us, so that that is how we are creating our experience. He says this, the secret of achieving prosperity lies so vividly, lies in so vividly keeping yourself centered in the inner focus of affluence, you literally exude the consciousness of it. The secret of achieving prosperity lies in so vividly keeping yourself centered in the inner focus of affluence that you literally exude the consciousness of it. What happens is if you are exuding the consciousness of it, you cannot help but experience prosperity in your life. And prosperity doesn't mean just money. Prosperity means all of it, all the good that is potential being realized in our experience. There is a minister uh, from my previous, well, you know, I say my previous tradition. I'm just an amalgam of two traditions now. Uh, There's a religious science minister, Dr. Tom Costa, who I learned this from. A great way to end all of your affirmative prayers, not with just, and so it is, amen, is to say, no matter what. You're going to get real clear on what it is you're creating if you end a prayer with no matter what. It's this idea 
if I am going to exude the consciousness of prosperity, I have to live in the frame of mind that that's what I am doing no matter what. No matter what. Part of our work is to catch ourselves. We have to catch ourselves in the act of things. So there was a roommate of mine. Uh, we were both studying. Uh, I was a couple years ahead of him in the track of uh, spiritual studies. Um, but we were roommates, and we were studying new thought. And one of the things we would do is if we were, you know, if we would catch each other for perhaps with a complaint or saying I can't or with something negative, um, we would just turn to each other and say, well, that's a belief. Very sarcastically, of course, because that was our nature with each other. Um, I try not to do that as a minister now. Um, so if you come for a spiritual counseling session with me, you're probably not going to have me sit there and go, well, that's a belief. Um, I'm going to invite you to understand that belief in a different way. But it was a useful tool at that time in my life for becoming aware. It is in awareness that we are able to begin turning our minds around. Here's the point. Believing is seeing. Belief sets the limit to our expression and experience of life. Belief sets the limit to our expression and experience of life. One belief that Butterworth invites us to adopt is this. You are as spiritual now as you can ever be. Some people don't like to hear that. They're like, but I want to resonate at a higher vibrational level. That's great. Doesn't mean that you're not 100% spirit right now. We can want that different level of vibration, but the whole of who you are right here and right now, irrespective of how you are expressing it, is spirit, is God, is divine. The wholeness of you is divine. So, you know, some people take issue with this because what they're going to do is they're going to look at it and they're going to say, but what about this? Or what about that? What about all the ways that I don't feel spiritual or that there may be some limitation in my life? And you know what? The challenge is this. We love to argue for our limitations. I've done that. We love to argue for our limitations. And I'm going to invite us all to let go of that idea. Let us let go of the idea that we ever have to argue for limitation because where our minds, where we are training our minds to go is that which is expansive. Letting go of that which no longer works. And it doesn't have to be rooted in any philosophy. It doesn't have to be rooted in anything anybody else is saying. What it has to be rooted in is the infinite, inherent truth of being. And you know... I think you inherently know what that is for you. And you're probably not necessarily ever going to hear me say it from up here. Because all I can say is, you create your life. That's all I'm saying every Sunday. That's all I'm saying. You create your life. What are you going to do with that information? For too many of us, it's easier to live in limitation. Um, this is going to be related to the homework, this next little part. Because we're studying spiritual economics, there's a thing called, in, 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 in uh, accounting, there's a thing called a balance sheet. Does anyone know what a balance sheet is? So if you don't know what a balance sheet is, I'm going to, in a very dumbed down way, try to explain to you what a balance sheet is. So on a balance sheet, you show your assets. 
you show your, I didn't know the quote was still up there. You show your assets, those are the things in your life that have value. Your home is an asset, your checking account is an asset. So we're gonna talk about it in terms of those types of things right now. And then you show your liabilities, right? Those are the things that you owe, your debts. If you have a loan, that is a liability because you owe money on that loan unless you've paid it off or it's been forgiven. Anyway, when you take your assets, and you counter with your liabilities, what you are left with is your equity, your value. Everyone with me so far? Okay, because that is, as, that, that, I'm just trying to explain the way a balance sheet works because I think we all have a spiritual balance sheet. We all have a spiritual balance sheet. So if your assets outweigh your liabilities, you have higher value. If your liabilities, um, outweigh your assets, then you have lower value. So what are some assets that we may talk about here today? What is the balance in your life like? Well, you may have liability statements in your expression and experience, things like, oh, I'm not good enough. I can't afford it. Life is hard. Those are liabilities. Now, you're also going to have assets, things like, I am always provided for. I am a radiant light. My nature is wholeness. Increasing your assets and reducing your liabilities will enhance the value of your life. When you have a greater sense of value, you live in the true sense of prosperity. The true sense of prosperity. The true sense of prosperity, Eric Butterworth says, is spiritual well-being. That's it. That's the true sense of prosperity. How do I define that? Remembering who I am. I remember who I am. I remember who I am. And that's really the whole point to increase our spiritual well-being. You know, spiritual economics, it does talk a lot about money. But this is applicable to every area of our life. When we are in a state of spiritual well-being, we are automatically in the divine flow. The divine flow allows all corners of our table to be balanced. If we are looking at, a, if we are looking at life as a table, there are four legs on a table. One is wealth, one is health, one is relationships, one is creative expression. And when those legs of the table are all in balance, we are living in a sense and a state of spiritual well-being. So prosperity is not just about money. It's not. Money is a byproduct of a prosperous mind. But radiant health, fulfilling relationships, and uninhibited creativity are also the products of, spiritual, of a spiritual well-being state of mind. So what are you going to do today? How are you going to choose to be? Today, the call for each of us is to choose to see with new eyes. To see with new eyes because you see what you look for. You experience that which is inherent. And so we get to decide what that is. You see what you look for because yours are the eyes of God. And that's the message. Peace and blessings. You are magnificent.
Okay, so I mentioned kind of what the homework, I, I hinted at the homework, and some of you are going, I don't really understand a balance sheet, but I'm going to invite you to do this. I want you to take a piece of paper this week, and I want you throughout the week to list what you perceive as your assets, beliefs that are in place in your life that are affirmative. I would also like you to look at your life and list the things that you perceive as liabilities. And then I want you to determine the balance between the two. There's no quantitative way of doing this because we're talking about qualities, right? But I want you to make a determination whether your assets outweigh your liabilities or your liabilities outweigh your assets. That's the homework this week, and I want you to write it down for you, because as you write it down, you get to deepen into a sense of awareness, and it is in awareness that you can make change. So no judgment about what you find, just awareness. Hi, this is Reverend Jonathan Zenz, and I want to thank you for listening to the podcast of my Sunday message. Your financial support will ensure that we can continue to offer this as an option for inspiration. You can make your tax-deductible contribution in any amount on our website, unitytucson.com. Once again, thank you for listening. You are magnificent. Namaste.